this incredible man. Thank you for this family. Thank you for the people that are here today and those watching. Father, thank you for what transacted today. I ask that you would bless the lunch that we're about to enjoy. And I just honor you today, Jesus. You're breaking in on us right now, and you're changing the story. You're changing the script right even now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Wow. All right. As you can tell, the goal here is to be a people that brings heaven to earth, a people that brings the kingdom on earth, that lives from the other realm and brings that other realm as our spirit connects to this realm. And I don't know of anybody that's been more profoundly communicating this than Norm Willis. Have you guys appreciated Norm's ministry? Like, I am getting rocked. So, Norm, come up here. I want you to do the kind of thing that we did last night um, with uh, John Chisholm. And, and, and this guy, Norm, has been groomed for a long time. He just crossed into the youthful age of 60. He doesn't look 60. 62 in two weeks. 62 in two weeks. Okay, so I still am your elder. All right, so Norm... God has given Norm to our tribe as one of those spiritual fathers that help secure us, that help build foundations, that help sort out issues. He is, he is one of those people that I'm accountable to him and as, as a pastor, and he's accountable to me, and we, we're submitted to the Christ in each other. We have a high degree of accountability in our work. Nobody gets to be the junta pope you know, without accountability. I mean, nobody gets that. And so Norm is one of these guys that has been given to us to help lay foundations. And together, we want to help bring, bring these foundations to the entire body of Christ. So there, this is a huge moment for him. And it's really important that you stand up, extend your hand, and pull the anointing out of him. Remember the culture of honor. Honor is the... Is the uh, currency of heaven. It's when we honor the Christ in each other and honor um, the Lord himself that we, he is able to release something. Without honor, Christ could do no miracles in his hometown. And so when you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, it's you're honoring the Christ in Norm. Can you just say that with me? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, let's do it one more time. Blessed is he who comes... The name. Now we're going to change the pronoun. 
and we're going to say, blessed are you, Norm, who comes in the name of the Lord, okay? Blessed are you, Norm, who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wow. Say it with me, will you? Wow. wow. Uh, say it backwards. Wow. Uh, say it upside down. Mom. Mom. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow. Uh, that was, uh, not only was that amazing, but it was an orchestration of the Lord to just eternalize the moment. I think what we experienced is through the power of testimony, God eternalizing a moment. And any time that we can eternalize a moment, we go back to before, we become transdimensional. And, and being transdimensional is simply that, it's, it's making a choice to, to not limit the now to the now, but limit or take the now to before and eternalize it. I think in many ways the, the anointing, when we experience the anointing, and if I can use the phrase, when we feel the anointing, the, the feeling of the anointing is simply the eternalizing of what is, is currently happening right now. And that emotion is the feeling of what eternity feels like. And there's certainly you know, more complexities to the anointing, but uh, I think to just uh, contextualize it into what is happening right now is, is we want to become transdimensional because we don't want to, to, to limit ourselves to the now. Uh, we want to step into what is before, what's now, what's present. We, we want to step into that, to that, that time that is no time. That, that reality that has, no, that has no limitations. And we saw the beauty of what it means to be co-laborers together with the Lord. Because all the various people, and you know, Sarah and what, what she shared, it, it, we, we began to, to co-labor together with God, and in that co-laboring, we released something that eternalized uh, what, that moment that, that we're in. You know, somebody said the problem with life is it's so daily. And, and that, is, that is true, but, but perhaps if we learn to eternalize the daily, then it wouldn't become so mundane. It would have that sense of adventure, and it would take on a, a whole different connotation. And I believe that's what the Lord is trying to, trying to teach us. So uh, we began uh, yesterday talking about the fact that it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom which has been prepared in advance for us. So we want to continue our focus on the pre-existent commission of God. And I'm probably not going to be as, as heavy and maybe not as, as deep as, as we were. I maybe have a little bit more, more fun. But... We, we dealt with the fact that being that we're created in Christ, birthed by our parents yet created in Christ, we've been known by God from the foundation of time. We've been appointed by God from the foundation of time, commissioned by God from the foundation of time. 
So as I, I use this phrase, eternalizing the moment, e eternalizing our commission, eternalizing our appointment, it's when that, that appointment intersects with right now. And we have that, that deja vu moment where you think, I've been here before. I, I've, I've experienced what I'm experiencing right now before. Deja vu, you know, it's the French word meaning already seen. It's that, that strong sensation that what you are currently experiencing is something that you've already experienced it before. You, you can't define it. You can't say, yeah, it was, it was at that place at that time. It's just that sense of, I think I've been here before. Or you meet somebody and you think, I think I've met them before. You know, I met, I met Anthony the other day. I've talked to him on the phone. But we spent the night together and didn't know each other. You know, I was already there, woke up the following morning. He woke up, you know, walked out of the bedroom. And I looked at him and I thought, I've known you before. I, I've not known him. I've never met him. You know, we tried to get together in Italy a couple years ago and it didn't work out. But, but as soon as our spirits touched and you've experienced this, it's like, I know you. We've been somewhere before. It was probably back in eternity past, but we've been somewhere before. And, and what is happening is a moment is being eternalized for us right now because there's, there's destiny in the relationship. And those that, that learn to, to live transdimensional are going to live in that sense of deja vu. The deja vu becomes just kind of a, a standard thing for us that we're, we're coming in and out of moments where we're aware of the fact that we've been in that moment before. So we're not looking to see new things. We're looking to see what's already been seen. I'm not looking for new truth. I'm looking for old truth. So we're in, a, we're in a backward kingdom where in a backward kingdom, you know, in, in this dimension, everyone's looking for something new. In the kingdom dimension, we're looking for something eternal. We're, we're looking to, to go back to that, that thing that is not just old in the sense of 30 years, but vintage. You know what vintage is? Vintage is it's old enough to be cool again. You know, it's not just, well, you know, he's old. Well, yeah, yeah, he's old. That means like he's like 60. But 90, that's vintage. You know, you're, you're old enough to be cool again. You're old enough to be desirable again. You're old enough to be relevant again. And I appreciate what was said, you know, because we're, we're those that are, are not uh, defining ourselves by being old. We're defining ourselves as being vintage. Yeah. <laughs> old enough to be cool all over again. So we're, we're looking to see again the works that were prepared in advance for us to do. So we're looking to see what God saw then. We're looking to, to be what God saw then. We're, we're looking to do what God saw then. And that's not new. It, it's old with an eternalized moment that, that changes the, the molecules, it changes everything about it. So religion is man's abdication of the kingdom. And religion is a, a deception that's, that's fueled by, by two devastating lies. The first is the lie of distance. 
And what I mean by that is the lie that God's far removed and he's personally disconnected. He's anything but, but definite and he's or anything but intimate and he's definitely not relevant. And though perhaps he's concerned with heaven, he has little concern with the realities of this lie. It's the lie of distance. The second is the lie of delay. Even if God did care for us, he no, has no plan for us this side of heaven. The gifts can't help us because they were for an era past. And the kingdom can't help us because it's for an era to come. It's called the lie of religion. And both lies rob us of the transdimensional reality. So what God is doing is he's, he's stirring things and he's giving us a desire for revival because revival is God's response to the lie of distance. Revival is that sense that, that God takes his habitation right here with us. That it, he's not removed. Yes, he's transcendent, but at the same time he's eminent. He's taken up a habitation right here. The God that knew us then knows us now. The God that formed us then forms us now. The God that appointed us then is still appointing us now. The God who consecrated us back then is consecrating us right now. He's not a God of distance. He's a God of right now habitating right here with us. And then transformation. Transformation is God's response to the lie of delay. In transformation, God acts right now. The past becomes present. The future becomes now. We start right now in that trans-dimensional reality, understanding that, that transformation is not something out there. Transformation is something right here. And when we eternalize that moment, we step into transformation. We step into to all the possibilities. We step into the, the yes and amen. We step into why wouldn't he? Why can't we? Why not now? Why not here? Why not all the promises that are, are out there, why not then be right here for us, Rock Tribe? Kansas City, October 8th, 2016. So Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 is simply the New Testament reiteration of Jeremiah 1.5. Before you were born, I knew you. I formed you. I appointed you and consecrated you a prophet to the nations. Fast forward in time, Paul stands up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, you are God's masterpiece. And not only are you the masterpiece, but you have been created for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Before what? Before your birth, before your circumstance, before your situation, before your opinion of yourself, before your doubt, before your unbelief, before what everyone else said about you, before what you thought disqualified you, before all that. 
God prepared you beforehand that you would do good works. <clears throat> so, of course, the million-dollar question is, what, what are those good works? And I would say, to, to some degree, they're, they're different for every one of us. There's a, there's a nuance, there, there's an aspect that, that is different because we, we've been all created different. But, but in general, it's the same. And to understand that, we've got to go all the way back. Now, I, I keep saying that because we say so much about don't let your past define you. And I, I mentioned it the other day, I want to I say it again. Our past is what defines us. We just got to make sure we're going back to our eternal past, not to our temporal past. So it's not my, it's not my drug past that defines us. It's not even my past three years ago that defines me. It's not the past of my loss. It's not the past of everything that I spent 42 years to build. It's not that past. It's going all the way back to my eternal past. That's what my definition is, because that's when I was created. That's when I was appointed. That's when I was consecrated. And then God even allowed this immediate past to, to, to give me an experience, to give me an understanding that would allow me to be a voice to somebody rather than an echo to somebody. Now, echoes are good. You know, echoes are when you read someone else's book and you say that's awesome and then you say the same thing. The only problem is you didn't experience it. So it has, a, it has a, 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 an aspect of authenticity to it, but it doesn't have the resonance of authenticity. The resonance of authenticity is I'm not, a I'm not an echo on this one. I'm a voice. I experience this. I experience betrayal. I experience loss. I, I, I experience whatever it is. So when I speak of forgiveness, let me, let me say it this way. In 2010, um, I wrote a book on, on forgiveness. The only problem is I'd never been betrayed. So it was just a good book. I mean, if you ever want to read a good book on, on, on betrayal and forgiveness, uh, you know, go to Amazon or talk to me. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. Uh, but if you want to read a, or listen to a, a voice on betrayal, on forgiveness, let's sit and talk. <laughs> Because the, the voice, unfortunately, came after the book. Um, in fact, I, as Tim mentioned, I think I've written six or seven books, and, and you know, what we went through a couple years ago, every single book that I wrote became a point of contention. And it became a choice that I had to make. Are you going to, are you going to follow your own book? Are you going to follow the way that your soul wants to go? And, of course, when you've written something on it, well, I guess you have a choice. It's kind of like choose life or choose death. I guess it's a choice. That's not much of a choice, but, it, you know. So when you know, people say, well, God always gives you a choice, I think, yeah. no, not really. Yeah. Life, death, it's not much of a choice. It is a choice, but not much of one, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> My next book is called Money and Tropical Vacations. <laughs> so, I want us to go back to the, to the written beginning. You know, there, there's a prior beginning, but back to the written beginning, back to Genesis 1.28, where the scripture says, And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply, 
replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, as we've been, been taught and heard so many times before, it was, it was blessing before responsibility. The, the, very, the very first act that our Father had with us was the act of blessing. Or, or the very first written act. It gets reiterated in Ephesians 1 where, where Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it, it deals with that, that mental picture that, that God is a, is a mean ogre with a baseball bat that's, that's waiting to whack you. You, you know what I, what I love in the whole revival uh, focus is, is people saying, I got whacked. Because every time I hear it, it redefines what whacked means. Because we used to think whacked is, you know, God's got a baseball bat and he's going to whack you when you step out of line. No, no, whacking, the whacking by God is a blessing that leaves you next to yourself. It's a blessing that takes you back to that, to that uh, eternal moment. It, it takes you back to that, to that time when God is, is who he really is. You know, I've never heard anybody say, I went to, to heaven and they took me to the baseball bat room. Because there isn't one. You know, there, there's no room in heaven that's filled with baseball bats that you just go in and get whacked because, because God's a blessed God. He, he's a happy God. So the, his very first interaction is he, is he blesses us and then he commissions us. Now following the blessing of God came a, a fourfold commission. And I'm saying this because when, when we become transdimensional and or not become when we when we walk in our transdimensional reality we walk in and out of this this beautiful um, symphony of blessing and responsibility uh, of co-labor and 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 joy but in the kingdom you know the I think the the highest and deepest fellowship is working with somebody and that's why we're called co-laborers. We could have been called co-partiers, or we could have been, uh, you know, co a lot of other things. But we're co-laborers because in God's economy, labor is joy. In His economy, labor is the the, the way in which we we release and liberate that 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 calling that's in us and that 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 appointment that's in us. So this, this commission that we receive in, in Genesis 1 is a commission that, that also uh, uh, harmonizes with Jeremiah 1. So we read both of them together. And what I want to do is break down this fourfold commission to see what transdimensional living is supposed to look like as we leave here. Because when we experience this whole aspect of God eternalizing the moment, this eternalized moment is not meant to be something that's reserved for worship. As, as amazing as it was, and let's say thank you, as amazing as it was, it's not, well, I can hardly wait to get back into the portal so I can experience again. No, I can hardly wait to leave the portal so I can experience it out there. So it's, it's this, this beautiful you know, multiple dimension. So God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply. 
Now, if you look in Strong's Concordance, and I, I'd like to tell you I'm a Hebrew scholar, but I'm not. I just know how to read Strong. Be fruitful and multiply. It literally means cause things to be. Why are we becoming transdimensional? Why are we learning to eternalize the moment? Because our very commission of God is a commission that we're supposed to cause things to be. We don't just watch what happens. We cause things to happen. We're not just thermometers that, that measure what happened. We're thermostats that regulate what happened. We're, we're not those that just go into a situation and observe. We go into a situation and create. We go into situations and release. We go into situations and change. We go into jobs and change. We go into families and change. We go into to cities and change. We go in and cause things to happen in the atmosphere. It's the healing of the inner man. It's the exploits of the outer man. It's releasing the supernatural. It's activating the dimensions. It's bringing the kingdom into family. It's releasing it into the marketplace. It's activating our appointment. It's applying our consecration. It's having an expectation of increase. Several years ago, our, our bookkeeper came and said, uh, do you know who Eric is? And I said, uh, no. And she said, I suggest you get to know him. And I said, why is that? And she said, because he just put a $63,000 offering in the offering plate, and it was his first Sunday in church. I said, I think I'll get to know him. So long story short, he called me one day, and he said, I just want you to know I'm giving our oversight ministry a million dollars. And I thought, Oh, thanks, I think. And then he said, but I want you to know I'm giving Christchurch three and a half million dollars. And I said, oh, but here's the story. He's working in, this was probably 25 years from now, he's working in a tech company and they're working on a program that speeds up all computers. They got to a point where they, they hit a wall, they couldn't do anything. One night in a dream, God gave him the answer. He goes into the work following morning, does what he saw in the dream, and since he was the one that did it, he got the patent for it. Microsoft bought out the company, he owned the patent, so he received millions and millions of dollars because of something that happened in a dream. He caused something to be. And then we all became the recipient of it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it's like, Lord, where do I sign up for that? I mean, it would be, it would be awesome for it to happen, but it, it's a testimony uh, of what our, our transdimensional commission is all about. In that blessing, we are being blessed because we're, we're, we're those causing something to be. That's the, the prayer of Jabez, and God blessed them and caused increase. You know, we're, we're, we're praying for that, that blessing of God that brings increase so that when we come into situations, we can not just bring our presence into the situation, but we can bring increase into the situation as well. The, the second commission is replenish the earth. It means confirm intent through accomplishment. Confirm intent 
through accomplishment. Now, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I read these things for years. Be fruitful and multiply. Okay, have kids. Okay, that is, as awesome as our kids are, it's, there's so much more than that. Or replenish the earth. Okay, what exactly do you mean? Lord, Lord said, here's what I mean. I am going to bless you in such a way that you're going to accomplish things. And every time you accomplish something, you're going to confirm my intended purpose. And the people around you are going to see you accomplish things. And when they see you accomplish things, it's going to open up an opportunity for you to give testimony. And when you give testimony, you're going to confirm in their mind what I purpose to do for you from the foundation of time. So accomplishment is not just then that, you know, I can add to my pedigree or add some, some initials to the end of my name. Accomplishment is to confirm the intent of God that all that he had intended from the foundation of time is now eternalizing itself in this moment, and we are giving testimony that brings glory to God. So we're created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, good works produce accomplishment, and accomplishment gives testimony to God's intended work. Now, let me illustrate it again. About 20 years ago, I had a vision for the joining of the generations, and we were sowing into the generations, and the generations were, were, were being captured by the purposes of God. They were wanting to count for God. They were graduating from high school and leaving to go to college. And I'm thinking, wait, something is wrong with this, because we awaken to them, and then as soon as they get you know, fruitful, they, they leave. Uh, not to mention the fact that they weren't really prepared for college, and they got to college and they lost the fire. So the Lord gave us this vision called the Master's Commission. It was a, it was a you know one-year discipleship program that really focused on uh, on the fire, focused on worldview, it focused on kingdom purpose, understanding character, you know, vessels prepared for for every good work. So these young people were were coming alive for the Lord. They were you know they they. They were young people that, that understood who they were. They knew why they're here. They, they knew where they were going. And we had a lady in the church that, that had an event company. And in this event company, often she would have to go into events and then hire, you know, two or three hundred people that came in as, as temporary workers. Well, usually temporary workers are not exactly at the top of the rung of the ladder. They're, they're usually the bottom. You know, things like, I can't type because I just had my nails done. You know, it's things, like, things like that. So we got together one day and we said, you know, perhaps we could join these two things together. You've got a temp company. You need, you need people. We've got young people that are hard workers that know what to do. Maybe we could join the two. And every time you do an event, we can send you our young people. And our young people can work the event for you. She said, that's a great idea. Long story short, uh, one of her, well, in fact, her only customer was Microsoft. Microsoft is in our backyard. So now our young people are working the Microsoft events. The Microsoft execs are seeing the young people and saying, where in the world did these young people come from? In other words, they're seeing the accomplishment of the young people, and the accomplishment of the young people is confirming the intent of the kingdom. Pretty soon, Microsoft started building all of their their events around the availability of what they called their Master's Commission kids. So we're, they're sending Master's Commission kids all around the United States, and, you know, I mean, then, then it got to the point where, you know, like a, a, a show in Washington, D.C. required 300 young people. So we started drawing from all the Master's Commission's 
around the United States, including Kansas City and, and various ones. So uh, that was in probably uh, 2003, 2004 when we started. Uh, when I left in 2013, we had raised $17 million for master's commission programs. Now prior to that, we were washing cars and selling muffins. You know, it's a lot of car washes to raise $17 million. So again, my, my point is, is that I, I think if we can have an expectation of increase and have an expectation that God wants to do something so far beyond the limitation of this dimension that he can give us creative ideas, he can give us understanding, he can give us dreams, he can give us insight, that in the, the blessing of that, we're going to be able to, to not only cause things to be, but we're going to confirm intent through accomplishment. And then he said, subdue the earth. Literally, bring into subjection anything contrary to God's created order. Now, this is not jihad. It's Jehovah. Kind of sound like the big difference between jihad and Jehovah. Both are have to do with subduing, but totally different dimensions. So this is not the subjection of force, but a subjection of prayer. It's a it's a benevolent love invasion. I, I love Tim's terminology and all this because when you're thinking, okay, we're bringing into subjection anything contrary to God's created order, that could be offensive. Especially to the millennial generation. Ah, I'm, not buying, I'm not buying into that. Well, let's redefine what subjection means. Because we've had the wrong definition of what, what subjection. This is a subjection that takes place on our knees. This is, a, this is a subjection of an entirely different motivation. It's a love invasion that's won through becoming a house of prayer. And, and why a house of prayer is so important, it's not about just praying, it's not about filling 160-some slots, it's about going all the way back to before when we were commissioned, when we were blessed, and in that blessing, we were commanded of God to bring into subjection anything contrary to God's created order. Now through prayer, we have the opportunity to step into another dimension, and in that other dimension, bring into this dimension what couldn't be done any other way. It's loving in the face of rejection. It's deflecting in the face of accusation. It's forgiving in the face of transgression. It's subjection through humility because it's a backward kingdom. And then lastly, he says, have dominion. Or sustain over time what was previously subdued. So we find ourselves here, 2016, it's it's our turn on the wall. So everything that our, our forefathers won up to this point has now been given to us. I'm looking at things in the church and I'm thinking, we lost that without even a fight. We lost that battle and there wasn't even a word mentioned. And it will go down at, in our watch, we lost this, we gained that. We lost this, we gained that. 
So the Lord is awakening that, no, we have a responsibility to sustain over time what was previously subdued. We have a responsibility to maintain and sustain the inerrancy of the word. We have a, a responsibility to, to sustain the deed of Christ. I mean, all these other things that, that had been fought in previous generations where people gave their life for it. And now it's been given to us to sustain it. It's not becoming weary and well-doing. It's embracing the gift of endurance. It's accepting the inevitability of long-suffering. It's enduring to the end and never letting our offense get in the way of someone else's need of redemption. Because it's given to us right now to sustain it. And whatever the 20, 30 plus years that the Lord will, will give me, it's in that watch that I have the responsibility to then pass the baton to the generation after me so that they'll sustain it in such a way as well. And we all have that, that same thing. But all of it is given to us out of blessing. So we find ourselves living now between time. Between the, the eternal, the temporal, between what was, what's yet to come. It's between time. Living between the eternal dimension where we are created and the heavenly dimension where we're seated. The in-between time, it's also called the mean time. You know what it's called the mean time? Because it's mean. It, it's well named. It, it's not a... It's not a nice time. It's not a, it's not a, a friendly time. It, it's called the meantime for a very important reason. And in the meantime, we've got to learn to focus on the treasure and not on the dirt. Because in this time that we're in right now, it's a treasure buried in a field. It's a treasure in an earthen vessel. And whichever of the two we focus on is what we get. Your wife, your husband, a treasure in an earthen vessel. Your kids, treasures in an earthen vessel. Your pastor, a treasure in an earthen vessel. Your congregation, a treasure in an earthen vessel. And it seems to be, in the meantime, a lot easier to focus on the earthenness than it is to focus on the treasure. And when we focus on the earthiness, a lot of times we want to get rid of the earthiness. But you can't get rid of the earthiness because there's a whole field of it. But if we focus on the treasure, all of a sudden the earthiness doesn't mean anything because we're so captivated by the treasure that's there. So in the midst of the tensions, we must learn to embrace the strains of being like a treasure. In the meantime, it's designed to teach trust. I'm convinced that the only way that you really learn trust is to be in a situation where you have to trust. Uh, I, I, I used to say uh, I, I, I'm a man of faith. And then after 40-some years, I lost my income. And guess what? I became a man of faith. So I had a, I, I had a measure of faith 
you know, when you've got a nice steady income and you've got a church with, you know, millions of dollars in the bank and all those things that are there and, you know, properties that are worth, well, they just sold the property for $20 million. I mean, it was a, it was a well-oiled, incredibly, you know, fine-running machine, and I had faith. And, and to a certain degree, I did. And then all that's taken away, and then the Lord says, trust me. They're in trust. But here's the promise. Psalm 25, those who trust in the Lord will not be disappointed. Or those who trust in the Lord will not diss their appointment. You know, there, there's that, that ability to stand in the midst of our appointment without wavering, without doubting, without, without questioning, with, without second-guessing it, not becoming weary in the midst of our appointment because we're learning that that. that that thing that is backed by the promise of God, if you will stay in this moment, eternalize the moment with trust, you will not be disappointed. So we're inheriting this kingdom which is like a treasure buried in a field of dirt, which when a man found it, he hid it again, and then from the joy of discovery went and sold everything he had. Now, let me just say this about that. For many years, the field was defined by its agricultural value. The value was the dirt. But there came a time when a treasure was placed in the field. And once the treasure was placed in the field, the field went from an agricultural value to an implanted value. In other words, it was no longer by the value of the dirt. It was the value of the treasure that's in the dirt. For years, our value was in our behavior. As long as we could behave right, as long as we could do this right, as long as we could do that right, as long as we could dot the I's and cross the T's, as long as we were good little children, then we had value. But when the kingdom came into our life, when Christ came into our lives, we went from a, a behavioral value to an implanted value. To where now our value is no longer determined by our behavior, it's determined by whose we are. It's determined by who's been implanted in our life. Before time, God knew you. He formed you, he commissioned you, he consecrated you. He put a treasure in your field of dirt, and no longer can your dirt devalue because yours is an implanted value. It has nothing to do with the dirt anymore. It has everything to do with the treasure that's been implanted in me. And I'm not making excuses for our behavior. I'm simply saying... It's an entirely different dimension now. This is the dimension of the treasure, not the dimension of behavior. And in this dimension of the treasure, it's an implanted value where I find my, my value in who owns me. And even if I get lost, I don't forfeit my value. Jesus saw what he put in you Back then, and then when you were birthed, he sold everything. He 
He bought us back. He bought the dirt that surrounds us. And now we find, even in this moment, a treasure that's filled with earth. We can focus on the dirt, or we can liberate the treasure. And here's the beauty of community. There's only so much of my treasure that I can liberate. You get to liberate the rest. We get to liberate each other's treasure. We get to come alongside one another. And this couple are the king and queen of liberation. Just the way they speak into you and remind you of who you are. A time when, when all I saw was dirt and all anybody wanted to remind me was dirt. They came alongside Mars and I and said, yeah, there's a lot of dirt there, no question about it. But that's just kind of, it's kind of spread it around. Oh, there is a treasure. <laughs> and, and that's the power that we have in each other's lives where we can just speak into one another's lives and remind one another that we are not who we think ourselves to be. And in those times that, as I said, in reflection and contemplation, we remember who we really are. And there's times that even that, I can't break through. And I need some of the kalama alongside of me and just speak truth into me and remind me who I am. And we need to come alongside each other and just speak truth into each other's lives and remind each other who we really are. And in doing that, we cause things to be. In doing that, we confirm intent through accomplishment. In doing that, we bring all of the voices into subjection, and we bring it all back into created order. And in doing that, we liberate treasures, and in liberate treasures, we sustain over time what God previously subdued. We can no longer see ourselves after the dirt. We've got to liberate our own treasure. We've got to liberate each other's treasure. And what began in eternity past, when God knew you, appointed you, commissioned you, gets contextualized right here in the moment. And we realize who we really are. We realize whose we really are. And in that realization, we understand as well, we have been given a commission. And when that commission kind of gets tarnished and kind of gets strained, we, we go back. And then in going back, we revitalize the value of what's been marginalized. And in that revitalization, we stand in the moment understanding who we really are. It's an incredible, incredible, incredible opportunity and blessing to live transdimensional. And once we touch it, we don't ever want to go back. God bless you. Hello. Was that staggering? We're going to have a Q&A time with Norm right now. He's got to fly out this afternoon. Aww. 
I can't tell you what it took for him to be able to bring this today. You, there is uh, absolutely no words to describe the degree of earthen fertilizer that he had to go through to grow that, this. And you get to hear something so holy that this, you've got to go over this and over this again. Thank God we're taping it because what, this is the apostolic groundwork that will help us to kingdomize people, families, and cities. This is the gospel. You just heard the gospel from a whole nother way. And I don't even know how to begin to tell you the seriousness of this, what just took place. For us, for Norm, and for literally tens of thousands of people that are going to be swept into the kingdom in the next few years. And I just honor you, Norm. That was like, that was like super holy. I was like getting zing-zanged the whole time from heaven. I was getting whacked. Yeah, I was getting whacked. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like it would be really good for you to ask some questions to Norm and pull some more anointing out of him, and then we'll go, we'll go to lunch. But we got a few more minutes. This is a holy moment for you now. This is a holy moment for you, and you got you got a real father in the spirit in front of you. So. Ask away. Yeah, Sarah asked, would you be willing to pray that blessing on us and that you, that you just spoke over, really? Mm-hmm. Can we do it now or at the no, end? Right now. Yeah. Right now. Nope. Time like a moment. Hmm. Thank you, God. Let's just stand as in a posture of receiving. Thank you, God. Father, Father, Lord, we receive today that at such a time as this understanding, at such a time as this revelation. And I just speak over this people that it's, that it's now time. That there is no disqualification for those that God has pre-qualified. That no longer will your value be determined by your behavior, but it will be determined by the one who owns you and lives inside of you. That no longer will your understanding be of God that he's man. But your understanding of your father will be that he's blessed. And no longer will he be distant, no longer will he be delayed, but he will be right now at such a moment as this. That he will be close, that he is intimate, that he is right there acquainted with your every need, that he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. And every trouble is being rerouted. Every trouble is being redefined to equip you and to make you a voice and no longer an echo. Lord, I pray that today you would release over this people that blessing all over again where you bless them and you said, 
be fruitful and multiply. Lord, I loose over this people an anointing that causes things to be. I loose over them an anointing that would confirm intent through accomplishment that, that dreams and ideas and commissions and plans would be released in them that would produce that, that very fruitfulness that you apprehended them for in the beginning. I loose over them, God, an understanding, a desire that, that would align their own hearts with, with the, the intent that you had from the beginning, that created order of the kingdom, to bring it into their life, to bring it into their family life, to bring it into everything that they touch. And God, I loose an integrity, I loose in them a, a vision that would, that would join things together and see that sustained over a period of time. I loosen them a liberation of the treasure. We call that treasure forth right now in the name of Jesus. And no longer will it be hidden. No longer will it be disregarded. No longer will it be uh, uh, dis disqualified or devalued. We call the treasure forth in Jesus' name. We call the release of that treasure forth. We call the, 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 the platforming of the treasure, the showcasing of the treasure, the release of the treasure, the vocalizing of the treasure. Lord, I pray that deep within their spirit there would be the understanding of the implanted value of what it means to have you living inside. Crucified with Christ, nevertheless we live, but the life we now live we live by the faith of the Son of God. But I pray that you would loose our tongue. That even as you defined us from the beginning, those who tell the story, that we would tell the story of your goodness. That we would tell the story of that implanted value. And we would, through story, be able to call value out of each other. But I thank you for who you've caused us to be. And this loose over these now, the blessing of God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that was one of the more incredible prayers I've heard. Wow. All right, sit back down. We're going to take a couple of more minutes. Any, any questions, and then we'll, we'll go to lunch, but just... Let's savor this minute because we're documenting this. I guarantee you this is going to be foundational in many people being sent to the nations, releasing the word of the Lord. So, Diana, you have a question? Stand up and um, let it rip. Everybody say hi, Diana. Hi, Diana. Hi. I, I told Norm that there was something I wanted to talk to him about after the first time he spoke. And so please bear with me. This is not a well-articulated question, but it's, it's a lot. Okay. Um, in our study of Graham Cook, he says uh, he really dislikes the thing that we always say in the Christian world, grace is un the de definition of grace being unmerited favor. Mm -hmm. He says he really dislikes that because we do merit grace because Jesus has grace. Grace 
you know, grew in him. So we have grace. It's not unmerited because God merits us. You know, he values us. I get that. That's the main point. I don't. So this started a discussion about um, this whole thing of being, um, being originated with God before the foundations of time. We were seated with him. We're eternal. We've been, we're known in heaven. We've been eternal with him, which is hard, you know, hard. We're beginning to try and wrap our hearts around that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is that? But then you have, we've been raised, most of us, with this Calvinistic notion of, um, we were born in sin, we were born in the first Adam, and it required Jesus to die for us. So how does this relate to what you've been teaching? Some would say, then, for God so loved the world, he loved us, he created us all, right? Before the foundations of the earth. He loved us before we knew him. We, you know, he died for us before we knew him. We merit this grace. So, see how it's not well articulated? Yeah, um, well, the wheats and the tares, Mm -hmm. so if God originated us, I mean, and we're to look at everyone with grace, mercy, and as that person, um, the treasure and not the dirt, so where do the wheat and the tares come in? And I guess it's choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let, let me just say, I, I, I'm not a theologian. I'm, I'm just a son. You know. So, um, you know, my problem with theology is I read all of them and believe in them all. So it's like. It's like Eschatology, I read that and say, that's what I believe, until I read another one. Oh, I believe that one as well. And it's like, okay, I guess I kind of believe them all. You know? So, um, you know, obviously when we're dealing with this, we're getting into election and, and all, all that. And, again, my problem is I believe in it all. So uh, I, I just, you know, I, I think in the, um, and obviously I'm rambling because, um, well, let me, let me just answer it this way. Um, I've recently been liberated um, because one of the one of the things that I've come to discover, Second Corinthians four uh, one, uh, Paul says it this way. He says, he says, this is how we're to be known. We're to be known as servants of Christ, which I think we've got that down pretty good, except we've kind of reverted it and. Christ as servants of us, but we won't, we won't go there. Uh, servants of Christ. And then secondly, he says, and we're stewards of the mysteries. Now, when I, when I saw that phrase, stewards of the mystery, it's like, I got set free. Because especially as a pastor, and, and in situations like this, you know, it's like, okay, I got I to gotta explain the mystery. Well, if I'm explaining the mystery, I'm no longer stewarding the mystery. 
because it's no longer a mystery. It's, a, it's, a, it's an explanation. And I, I'm not meant to be stewards of the explanations. I'm meant to be stewards of the mystery. So, so I, I guess my answer, and I, I, I hate to say this, but I, I guess my answer is, I don't know. It's a mystery. You know, I mean, there, there, there are so many things that, that are, are mysteries. Is it, you know, is it, is it this or is it that? And, you know, is it, is it uh, I, I don't know, you know. And I, I think people's demands sometimes, I, I demand an answer. Well, listen, if, if I could answer the mystery, I would be equal to God. And if I'm equal to God, you are in a lot of trouble. <laughs> you know? So the greatest liberation to me is, I don't know. Now, I, I think there are answers. You know, I, I think sometimes they're no longer mysteries. They're, they're answers, and that, that's great. But if I don't know the answer, I, I, don't, I don't know the answer. Now, maybe you know the answer to that, you know, but, you know, in the... I'll let you know later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I think, you know, in, especially when we're dealing with, with transdimensional realities... And we're in a dimension that, you know, you don't, you don't study this dimension. You know, you experience the dimension, and we certainly study the word. But there's going to be a whole lot of things that we can't, we can't figure out. We can certainly experience it. And, and I'm not suggesting we don't press to figure it out. I am suggesting we press to figure it out. But even if we get one figured out, it's like it opens up a whole other realm. It's like, oh, now I've got a thousand more that I can't explain. You know? So... Um, I think, you know, especially in this, we're, we're kind of like pulling on the ball of yarn and seeing where it, where it all goes and discovering in the midst of it. Yeah. I love this transdimensional phraseology because God does operate above space and time, but he created space and time. So you have this Adamic race created on a globe within a galaxy. So that God put us into space and time, and so the Adamic story is underneath. The, it's, it's, underneath it's a part of, but underneath, it moves on its own dimension. So Adam then did sin. He did sin and became a race of people that transferred sin, a sin nature. And Jesus became the last Adam that died, that basically he became one with the Adamic race, and, and he then becomes the last Adam. In terms of God's view, he closed the history on the Adamic race. Is that great? That's why he's called the last Adam. But then in the Corinthian, the, the reference, last Adam is put right with new man. He became a new man, and we began to recover our race, the race we originally started with. So God put us in Christ. And when he put us in Christ, he shoved us back up into the transdimensional world. Because he said, if you're in the first Adam, you will die. In other words, you will, you will, there is a hell. You will, you will, there is a consequence. And so what happens is, in this dimension of humanity that we're in, theologians, thinkers about the word of God, break into a revelation, let's say Calvin, and he sees a truth. But what happens is, because the, the mind is not Hebraic, it's an either-or mind in the Western world, Calvin created a system of thought that became circular. And so he, because he had to close his logic, Calvin had to close his logic. So he gathered sovereignty of God concept, but he had to close his logic with election. He had to close his logic with predestination. 
And part of it was true, but he, but he closed his logic with a theological position. Then along comes another guy. He talks about the responsibility of man and choice and responding to God's invitation through, you know, faith. So the emphasis was on our response. And so he had to, clo- because he's Western, he had to close his logic of thought. And you had two systems of thought that look like they're in opposition to each other. Arminianism and Calvinism. And so everybody had to buy into a system of thought. Well, God is above these systems of thought. And, and these, but these systems say, no, we demand that you, that you either get into us or get into them. And then we're going to judge you based on whether you buy into our system of thought. And God's looking down and going, oh, my gosh, you little peanuts. You, you really think you're that smart, don't you? And that's where the mystery comes in. And so in this equation, we see both and, this, this mystery of both and. God initiates, you know, it's like the wedding feast. God initiates the wedding feast. Then he says, hey, you respond to my initiation. So we respond to God's initiation. Then God responds to our response. And you have this cycle. And so in one sense, a little bit of both is true, but then overarching it is this transcendence. And so, you know, you're going to find people pop through a little bit and pull a transcendent thought into the now, and then they're going to think that they have the whole truth. They got one little seed kernel of, of revelation, and they, they, they want to they systematize it and then claim it as though we got the whole package. And God's looking at, you're so cute. And so that's where we're going to have to live in the discomfort of both and. and te- it's called the dialectic. There's a dialectic or a tension. And cults are formed by collapsing the dialectic. Good. Okay because they won't live in the tension, because they want it all solved and all settled, and so they basically box God up in a system of thought, and by doing that, they collapse the tension that's built in the Word of God. You get my point? So we're going to have to live in the discomfort of tensions, because you can see all these truths in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can see these tensions in Scripture, you're like, who, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Was it God or was it Pharaoh? I mean, which one was that? It's like, yeah. Well, that's a tension. That's a dialectic. And both are true. Because God respected so- uh, Pharaoh's sovereignty, but God also had an epic story he was working out in the transcendent places. And so, you know what I'm saying? This is incredibly fun, but we have to hold these things very lightly and not, and not get... See, religion, religion wants to systematize a way of thinking and then harness it because it's, it, it's a false security. I'll get a false security if I get a little system of thought and I get a little box and I got God in my box and now we're in our box and we can work our program and work this thing of life out. And God hates boxes because he's so much bigger than the boxes. And so here, so really... Graham Cook is not speaking against the reality of hell, or he's not speaking against the need of the cross or our need for choice. You get my point? Neither was, he, neither was Norm. He was simply pointing out from a transdimensional place that God knew you before the beginning of time, and he's had a story planned for you, and it did involve becoming put in Christ and Christ put in you. It did involve dying with Christ. It does involve your response to the invitation of God's grace. And grace has been compartmentalized in a very little definition, whereas it's a way bigger than we've 
our little systematic theology has placed it in. And so here comes a preacher of the gospel who literally unleashes a whole nother realm of how do you see the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're like, we're like staggered right now. We're staggered because that Adamic story is a subset to a greater story. And it really does require us to respond to Jesus in faith. So I, I tell you, I, I'm like Norm. I'm like, there's more I could say on this topic. I mean, I, I, I've like given myself over to trying to, you know, understand God's ways, and he likes it when I do. But at the end, I'm going, and I kind of do know a little Greek, and I do know a little Hebrew, and I still go, and I have studied systematic theology, and I've written lots of papers, and I'm like, whoa, this is way bigger, way more awesome. And so I just, what I do at the end of study and research in the Word, I just fall on my face and I just weep before the Lord and I go, I am so glad you're God. And I'm not. And I just like, I throw myself at you and I go, tell me some more when you want to tell me. And he does. So, man, I love your teaching heart. That's the best I got for this minute of time. And Norm, you know... We'll That's what I believe. Yeah. And I believe what you believe, so we all believe. Eschatology is exactly like that, too. There's a little bit of truth in all these theories. And I listen to people break it down, and I'm like, I'll bet you none of you are right, and all of you are right. There's the dialectic. There's the paradox that you cannot collapse. All right, one more question, and then we'll go eat. One more question. Anthony, one Italian to another. <laughs> Tell me what your question is. Se posso per un attimo yeah. chiederti qualcosa? Yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah, so one of the, I think probably one of the greatest lacks in Italy is hope, in particular for the upcoming generation. Like what do they have, you know, to contribute? to be able to, to add in terms of value. And uh, so as you start to talk about master's commission, I get really interested, um, especially as I think about my kids mm. entering that um, not too long. And you know, I, I know there's a lot of things that could be added to the conversation, but uh, you know, what, what would be some, if you would, some, some things, some I think of like in terms of declarations, right, or, or key things that you would want to embed in, in the minds of the upcoming generation so that there is hope for what's not just today, but for what's to come for them, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an awesome, awesome question. Um, I think part of the... Um, I think part of what's undermining the 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 integrity—I don't mean integrity, honesty, but integrity of strength of the millennials—is that is existentialism. They're living for now, you know, and and I, I'm sure it could be said of every generation, but it's probably more in the millennial generation. And as I said the other night, when, when you live for the now, anything makes sense, you know, and everything makes sense. So I think the 
the root of, of hope is the fact that we're, we are transdimensional, that we're, we're from another generation. Our source is from another generation, our provisions from another generation, our callings from another generation, our, our identity. identity or dimension, whatever, whatever word you want to use. So, so I think that's part of the, of the deception that we have to break through, that uh, it's not just now. Um, and that's why I said we are losing we're losing truth without a fight because if you look at various truths in the now, it all makes sense. But if you go back to the eternal, then it doesn't quite make as much sense. So I think sowing that, that vision for something bigger than themselves, that for a time that was preexistent, um, an eternal dimension, eternal perspective, uh, an eternal revelation point, or a, an eternal, as you said the other night, an eternal context, that uh, my context is not me and my experience. Uh, my context is a government that existed before time. And my meaning, my purpose, my destiny, my identity, all of that is, is related to how I fit into that pre-eternal context. And that's part of what, you know, I think to me one of the silliest arguments is the argument of kingdom now. You know, kingdom's not now. Well, when is it? You know, I mean, right. <laughs> Jesus said it was now. I guess if it was now back then, it should be now now. Uh, but, but as Tim said, it's also not yet. So if we can understand that the kingdom is a context, it's a government. So the question then is, how do I fit into that context rather than making it fit into my context and why the cross is so important because the cross is me just dying to my own context so I can fit into the context of the kingdom. Wow. Great story. One more thing I'd add and then we'll close but is storytelling. Testimonies. There's such power in the word of testimony. And we overcome the enemy by the word of testimony and hopelessness basically is, is a disconnect from the, the, the storyline of heaven. So it's a humanistic sub, you know, it's a humanistic and demonized storyline. And the minute we get into testimonies, we get back up into the storyline of heaven. So basically, God's a story God. A story doesn't mean it's a, it's a fantasy. It's a real story. But stories are what Jesus used to incite inspiration and motivation and hope. He told stories. Stories are really more the language of the spirit than a didactic teaching. So when people tell stories that are from eternity, they awaken the eternal heart that's within the Italian people. The more stories we tell, and I, that's why I read biographies and autobiographies all the time, and I think we need to read our children's stories. Um, I, I, I read my children's stories. I don't know if they re remember, but I, I honestly read them story after story after story of great people that were in, went into hopeless situations and made great impact. Everyday people. One of them was a guy named Sam, Sammy. Uh, he was an African kid that was in, abducted into slavery, and he, went to, and he got kidnapped. He got out. He followed a cloud. He got under the anointing in Africa. He got on a ship. He came to America. He ended up at Taylor University, and he re released a revival. And they have a, they have a statue of this African kid at Taylor University, Sam, oh, come on, Samuel Morris, thank you, 
Samuel Morris, and I tell story after story of a kids, especially young people, that followed Jesus and impacted culture. And Sammy Morris is like famous in the history of Taylor University. And they even named, you know, dormitories after him, and there's a statue of him, an African kid that, that was sold into slavery that came under the anointing and changed culture. So you tell story after story after story after story. It's pretty, that here's what happens. The word testimony means do it again. That's what the word testimony literally means, do it again. It says, I, I, can, I can crawl into that story, and I can do it again. I can do it again. I can do it. If, if, if that kid can do it, I can do it. And all of a sudden, you get up into the eternal realm, and you pull eternity into the now. And, so, and anybody, anybody can be a game changer. Anybody can go into a situation and bring heaven to earth. Anybody, right now, you, right now. So storytelling allows you to glomp onto, attach to an eternal story and make it your own. Basically saying, his story could be my story. I'm, I'm doing it. And faith pops up and faith accesses hope. See, hope sets the picture. Hope changes the story. Hope says, here's a better story. And by the way, whoever has the best story wins. You get my point? Whoever has the best story wins in culture. So you tell a story of hope about Italy. And then you tell stories of people that believe that story, bought in, and then brought heaven to earth. The next thing you know, it's like, I do not have to live in this humanistic, low-level, you know, carnal, Laodicean, Babylonian compromise story. I can break open into a kingdom story, and I can be a part of an epic story. Now, here in every human heart is a desire to make impact in an eternal way. Every one of us wants to have an epic story. Every, because God made us that way. Jesus said, do you want to be great? Well, you know what? Of course they wanted to be great. You know why? Because God made them to want to be great. He says, the problem isn't wanting to be great. The problem is how you want to be great. You want to be rich and famous. He goes, oh, up, 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 up. That's not really kingdom greatness. Kingdom greatness, which I want you to be great in the kingdom. Here's the doorway to greatness. Let me tell you a story. You serve. So everybody wants to be great. I don't care who you are, where you're from. And we need to awaken that longing to be great and tell a story of greatness and say, now, come on now. With Jesus Christ and the body of Christ, you can be great. You can make a difference. And here's the people that had far less than you have that, that did great things. Blam. Drop the mic.